So our next song is one that you guys probably know. And if not, uh, you're very young. This is called Coming Home. those little just tings off the ride and now i'm just picturing cozy playing with his traditional grip and just reaching over and hitting that ride now and then uh i love this song i i just love this song i think um this is one that is what it, it kind of makes you sit and just contemplate life a little bit i think yeah yeah that's a good call and i remember uh it was kind of the nineties when I, when i was really listening to this record and uh the iraq war was going on and so it kind of took on a, another meaning uh yeah. around that time for for soldiers uh perhaps coming home but love the acoustic intro to it uh lyrically it's great you had a little tom Kiefer singing in his uh, real voice at the mm-hmm. beginning there uh before kicking into the into the chorus um a great 12 string ballad that still uh sets it apart to this day when i when i think of ballads yeah. from this era um i even put this one ahead of don't know what you got just because it's the, that one, I you know, is, is kind of sad, and I associate yeah. some bad memories with that one. Coming home to me is a real standout. And Cinderella, since I'm still on Setlist.fm, they played this sucker 318 times, and they did 318 shows. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and see, that's the beauty again of of music is that it is such a personal experience. I mean, you know, for for you to like a song and be able to or not be able to listen to it is again your associative memory. Uh, and that, when when I hear from fans, you know, I hate the song. I, I always wonder what's behind that. There's got to be some story that goes with why you would hate something. Uh, I The interesting thing about this song to me is that really the song itself, now the whole song is uh, a total of, where do I have it here? Uh, four minutes and 57 seconds. But the song really ends at two minutes and 47 seconds because everything from there, the last two minutes of the song, is really just almost a, an end, an ending where they're all riffing. You got riffing from the guitar player, riffing from the vocalist. There aren't a lot of songs for me where I would want to hear that. I mean, I like a little bit of it, but for it to go on for almost half the song is a lot. For this song, they could have given me another minute or two, and I would have just I would have ridden that train every time. Isn't that something? I'm totally in agreement. Like two minutes sounds like way too long just for that section. With I'm on my way and Tom yeah. is scatting something on there. And, you know, little breaks in the drums or something, but it, it totally works. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, n- now when I hear it, I, I, I think of Tom Kiefer and I remember him describing his recording setup, uh, this massive uh, giant uh, travel case that would open up and there's speakers that would pop out and he'd maybe get a little eight track recording out of it. But he would just haul that into hotels on tour and be recording stuff. And I just picture him sitting on his bed in front of this monstrosity with an acoustic guitar recording coming home and thinking, you know, when you've done 200 shows and you're in another hotel in another nameless city, yeah. uh, you know, how personal that is for him in that moment. And it really makes me connect to the song even more. 
Oh, sure. And, and uh, as somebody who's played uh, some shows, I can tell you that it, it does have a bit of um, you. It, if you take the love side away from it and just look at it as the exhausted, I've been away too long kind of feel um, really reminds me of uh, Turn the Page by Bob Seger. Oh, which good, had a, a very similar theme, not musically at all, but but from the the theme standpoint. And uh, I was playing a gig with my band on Friday the thirteenth, and this would have been in uh, October October thirteenth of nineteen eighty nine. And th- there were three bands. We were the middle band. The first and the third band got in a big fight. The singer for the first band used to sing for the third band, and he was also running audio. So it was uh, it was a tumultuous gig. We didn't know if the gig was even going to happen. It was very stressful um, for me. I think it was one of my best shows. I think our band played very our, our best show that night. And me personally, my best show as the drummer. Uh, but I'm taking the guitar player home and he lives about 45 minutes from the venue. We get everything loaded up in my truck. We get in. I turn the car on, and we got tonight was ju- or not? We got tonight. Uh, turn the page was just starting. I'm like, there <laughs> is not a more perfect song that could have come on at a more perfect moment right at the beginning. Uh, and this would have been another one that could have substituted for that. That I think would have fit really well. That just worn out. I've been through too much. I just want to get home now. I love stories like that. It's why I worship at the altar of rock and roll because. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic stuff. And uh, coming home works on, on so many levels. And um, to me, it, it's top five, maybe my favorite songs of this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Gypsy Road, maybe uh, four or three, uh, maybe even one. I don't know. I love that song so much. But uh, nothing bad to say about this one uh, at all. Uh, it, it makes me want to get behind my drum kit and play along to it right now, to be honest with you. Right. And as a drummer, it's a very simple song, but it's just such an enjoyable song that you don't mind not being a, a, an aggressive drummer on a song like this. Uh, exactly. the, the other thing I'll mention about this song is there's a little bit of a gem in here. It's it's kind of buried in the mix. But when they're riffing towards the end, you could just hear these little plucks of the piano just going da, 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 just little plucks. And that is is just another thing that makes this song so it's so simple but it adds so much value to the music and that's maybe uh, cinderella uh, tom Kiefer, eric brittingham kind of you know evolving and growing as musicians because they're adding in those layers i don't think you heard that on night song so much but now you know working with andy johns and yeah. saying you know you know maybe let's try a little thing let's put this in the background no one else will maybe ever know that it's there but we'll know that it's there and it just adds a little extra color little yeah. flavor uh, to, to help drive help drive the song home, and it works absolutely. And a lot of times, things that you don't necessarily notice being there, you would notice them if they weren't there. It would just be a little too empty, a little too thin sounding, or or something. But yeah, just that little tiny bit that they added really added a ton of value to the song for me. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so uh, that brings up us to our second from the last track, the uh, the almost cliched titled "Fire and Ice." Fire and ice. 
take it away. Exactly. Just like fire and ice, apparently. This is one that I always say this like it's a negative. It's not. But if you put this on night songs, uh, it would fit perfectly. This is another one of those tracks that I think more indicative of the 80s sound, not really in the direction that Cinderella would eventually take their music or even the little hints that we get on this album. It's just kind of standard fare. Uh, the the yeah. chorus never really hooked me uh, too much. Uh, but, you know, it's fine. It's good. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder, though, with a couple of the songs that you've mentioned, if maybe these weren't songs that were left over from those writing sessions that were then revamped for this album as a starting point. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's weird. I, I hear this as, uh, as more of a Motley Crue song. I think that oh, yeah. uh, it, it really would have fit in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's okay. Um, you know, there's, there's a nice breakdown. There's some good guitars on here. But uh, overall, um, it, it's just a track. You know, it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, and and it, uh, it vocally, it, it, it hits that ACDC realm for me, where it's just a little bit higher than the rest of the songs, getting into that, that ear-piercing frequency that I don't care for. Right. Uh, even in the chorus, too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it sounds very thin and kind of robotic. And even just the way they go down on the word ice. Uh, yeah. Always kind of bugged me. Uh, coming off of coming home, this was always kind of a little letdown for me. But I, yeah. you know, especially with another what I think a good song coming up here to finish off the record. But I guess it's fine. I thought the Motley Crue uh, thing was, was pretty good. I could see this being on Girls, 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 like yeah. before they kind of hit their stride with Doctor Feelgood, right? Mm-hmm. On an earlier Crew record, yeah, it would, it would kind of fit in that the '80s era Crew, sure. Especially with the way the ch- the key changes are go- and and the short pre-chorus, you know, uh, leading yeah. into it. Uh, just really seemed to fit their kind of, I mean, Vince Neil would have sounded completely different on it, but uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, That brings us to our our last, and and the the title kind of, you know, uh, maybe in 1988, it wasn't as cliche, but it's just such a, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, our last track, uh, which I'm actually a big fan of as well, is called Take Me Back. got to love a song that got a cowbell in the beginning how do you not it's one of my favorite drum patterns to ever play i and any song that starts with a drummer counting it in uh yeah. is, is an all-time classic for me so you got one two three boom, boom, and then into with the cowbell that's fantastic stuff and you stopped it too uh, soon i was ready to get right into wow. the chorus and we didn't even get any chorus come on man you're killing well, me here let's make it happen A 
melodic vocal. Yes, and you you mentioned uh, Tom Kiefer's vocal on the last song, getting into that Brian Johnson range. Sounds very much like Night Songs era Tom Kiefer. He's back to uh, really sounding fantastic on this on this track here. And I, I love the, the the background vocals on this. Yeah. Uh, Eric Brittingham, I think, is a, is a big voice uh, in the background. Jeff Labar, I believe, also sings uh, backup uh, for Cinderella. And uh, there's nothing not to like here. It's and even yeah. just the little changes on the drums, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he goes back to the cowbell a little bit, and then in, you know right back into like a ride cymbal, and then back to the hat, and just the way he transitions was so so cool. Uh, yeah, Cozy Powell, great drummer. Oh, and I, and I I'm pretty sure he wasn't a backup singer on this, but but again, I mean, <laughs> the whole album is so consistent with the backing vocals. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the songs as a whole, um, very consistently recorded, uh, very consistently mixed and mastered. But the performances of the backing vocals really add just a nice sheen to the choruses. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's prevalent throughout this whole album, and. Uh, uh, I think the list came out a few years ago, but Rolling Stone uh, released their list of the top 50 hair metal albums of all time. This was number 10. Really? Uh, so, and Rolling Stone, I think, initially gave us a two-star review back in 1988. So they've really come around on it saying, hey, there's, you know, Long Cold Winter is, is one of the best albums of that era. And I, I couldn't agree more for gems like this. Well, if you're going to hit five times platinum, I think Rolling Stone has to kind of go, maybe we, maybe we should just pretend we didn't say that. <laughs> I do want to play the solo on this song, though, because I think this is yes. another standout solo for me. So let's check that out. I like the Their way slide this- work is fantastic. Isn't yeah, it like it is? I love the way that this song goes from like southern to rock to southern to rock. It's got a really good, smooth transition back and forth. And both Jeff Labar and Tom Kiefer were great slide guitar players. Mm-hmm. And I think they're both showcased really well on, on this song. And like you said, from, from rock to southern, and uh, even when they get into their bluesier stuff, like these are two guys that really know how to work that slide guitar. I love it. They do. And they know how to get a great tone because that is a fantastic tone for this album. Yep. And, and right before you cut it off, you're going to get a nice little fill from Cozy Powell. As a drummer, I'm surprised you actually stopped it before it kicked in. Well, I'm going to fix that right now. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Cozy right there. I, I should have <laughs> known just based on that and said, wait a minute. Fred Corey must have really learned something from Cozy because that's a Cozy fill. Love that fill. It's one of my favorite fills in, in 80s music. Mm-hmm. You could hear him doing a lot of those kind of fills on Rising, you know, the okay. uh, the Rainbow album. He's He's got mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of stuff in there. Um, in fact, uh, for Cozy fans, there's a video on uh, YouTube where he's teaching people how to play the opening to Stargazer. He actually walks you through it step by step exactly how to play it. And uh, it's really fascinating to watch because you don't get to see drummers do things like that very often. I got to find that now. That good find. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll find it and send you the link. But it's uh, and and I'll put it in the show notes, too. Um, It's really amazing. He he was on TV. uh, I don't know what country it was in uh, breaking the world's record for the the most amount of drum hits in 60 seconds. Oh, wow. 
and they had all these drums just set up in in a line so he could just go up and down the aisle and just you know as many as he could it, it, it was really about how fast he could move you know his his body to the next set of drums more than how many he could hit uh but he he would go on tv shows he was on kids shows he was a very uh very unique guy because you didn't see rock and roll musicians going on basically Sesame street, uh, right. for whatever, like England or whatever country he was in, uh, very personal, very personable. And, and, you know, when I talked to Graham Bonnet about him, uh, Graham speaks with him with such just affection about what a great guy he was and how much fun he was to be around, uh, quite a practical joker as I understand too. I can't believe he died so young too. Was it 1998? He passed yeah. away. Motorcycle ten years accident. after recording this, yeah, ten years after yeah. recording this record, mm-hmm. and he played with everybody. I mean, he played with Michael Shanker, he played with Black Sabbath, right. uh, Rainbow. He had some solo albums out. Played with Jeff Beck, who who just uh, just, passed, uh, just away. passed away yesterday uh, as we're recording this. And um, yeah, he was he was definitely one of those people that just was everywhere because everybody wanted to work with him. White Snake, didn't he play with White Snake? At one yeah, time? he he did uh, the Slide It In album with White Snake. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty amazing career. Well, you know what? Uh, you kind of brought everybody down uh, talking about the dearly departed Cozy Powell. Yeah. Uh, in your Facebook Messenger, I sent you a link to uh, Cinderella doing the Pat's Chili Dogs theme if you want to play that. Oh, I'm going to have to bring that up. <laughs> Let's see here. And thank you, Corey, for doing that. Yeah, we, we needed a, a little bit of an uplift after I uh, once again killed the mood. I'm really good at that. <laughs> It's one of my favorite all-time jingles. It, it makes me want to go get a chili dog. I, you know, before uh, I I was uh, diagnosed as diabetic, I was on a mission to uh, find the uh, best hot dog in Vegas. And I came oh. across some really good ones, but I had to stop. I, I hear you. I'm, I'm diabetic as well, so I get you. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's listen to Pat's Chili Dog from Cinderella. This is uh, five years before this album. This is going back to 83. So they were really, they were a band for quite a while before they gained uh, some commercial success with the record company. That's right, yeah. Shows nostalgia can help you remember ads. Of course. Customize and save. Every time. Every time. Every time. I was like, wow, it's only six seconds. What happened? When you're hungry, we're ready. Pat's Chili Dogs. That is the greatest thing I have seen in a while. (laughs) I love the close-ups of the band chowing down on the Chili Dogs. That link is going to be in the show notes, folks, because that is something you have to check out the visual of. That was amazing. Everybody (laughs) takes a bite of the dogs and the look on a couple of their faces. We're really not not selling it. And they have two locations. (laughs) I wonder, are they still around? I wonder. I don't think they are. Jeez, ah. I got to look that up now. Yeah, I, I think Pat's Chili Dogs may be done, but oh, what a bummer! Yeah, uh, that was that was uh, you know, and, and I think about them filming that commercial. Like, yeah, we got some local band coming in. They're gonna, you know, they said they'd be in our commercial, and they wrote this little jingle for us. So, you know, because they weren't known yet, 
I don't know how big they were locally, but to for a band that was not signed to get a commercial like that, and that's obviously them in the recording, that that must have been a huge deal. I love the little uh, ticker on the bottom that says, and, and get Cinderella's new uh, single, Shake Me, at the Sam Goody's record store. And <laughs> there is a I Pat's wondered. Chili's dog in, uh, in Tulsa, it looks like. Ah. Or Tucson, Arizona, actually. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I've got, some friends. I've got some friends in Tucson. That's, uh, that's what, about a uh, seven-hour drive from me, I think. There you go. I, I'm just reading. Uh, it came up a little Tom Kiefer quote uh, about Pat's Chili Dogs. He goes, yeah, I mean, obviously, we were just kids, and the way it came about was Pat's Chili Dogs advertised on MTV Local, and they were open 24 hours a day and wanted to get the crowds coming out to the rock clubs. So when they were approached to the commercial, it was like, well, we're kind of on MTV. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and obviously, he, he, looking back on it, you know, his vocals are out of key. and It's a little embarrassing, but sure, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? But they probably threw that together fairly quickly and like, we got to go hurry up and record it. They probably had like a couple of days turnaround time and like, no, I need two weeks. I got to work on the lyrics to Pat's Chili Dogs. What are the addresses <laughs> of the two like... locations? I got to work that in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and of course, nowadays, getting your music licensed in anything is a is a pretty big deal, whether it's, you know, a video game or a film or a television commercial. Uh, I've had a few gigs I've been fortunate enough to do like that. Um, but yeah, that was a good start. And, and who knows, maybe that really boosted their career. Just somebody going this is dumb, but I really like their sound. Like these guys have something, you know, producer just seeing that commercial and going, I can see someone in this guy. Uh, bon Jovi kind of discovered him. I wonder if John was sitting in a hotel and the Pat's dogs commercial came up and said, Hey, we got to check these guys out. Go check out <laughs> it, a show. It very well could be, yeah. you know, and you think about, you know, musicians that are influencing as, as musicians and obviously, you know, Bon Jovi made his impact in, in the business, but you think about what else people do that you don't, doesn't necessarily come to mind like Bon Jovi helping discover Cinderella Prince creating the bangles, um, you know, uh, Zappa creating missing persons, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those kind of things coming together. And when you start learning about that, you really appreciate artists that went the extra mile for other people. It wasn't just about, I got to do for me and that's all I have time for. That's all I care about. It was people that really gave back or saw potential and took the effort to do something with it. Well, and John Bon Jovi not only did it with Cinderella, he did it with Skid Row as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now they were uh, they were more 90s, right? Early 90s? Or were they, they uh, were no. late 80s, too. Yeah, I guess they were like late 80s, yeah. What was, um, oh, what was their big hit? Um, 18 in Life, Youth yeah, Gone that, Wild. Was that 89? Off the first record. That, I think yeah. that was 89 because Slave to the Grind, I believe, was 91. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, right around the same time. Yep. Yeah, it's it's good to see people giving back or seeing the potential and not worrying about it being competition. Well, I guess John, you know, took his fair share of the royalties. Uh, but oh, yeah. He, he, I remember, uh, I think it was uh, Snake Sabo from uh, Skid Row's like, yeah, John took more than his fair share of the royalties. But, you know, he did kind of earn it, too. He gave him a, a career and a platform and took him on tour for a year and a half on, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I think he, uh, Skid Row was on the New Jersey tour. Like that tour went on forever. It was like a two, oh, solid yeah. two years. So they got a lot of exposure on that one. And then uh, the Moscow Music Peace Festival, like Cinderella and Skid Row. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, Bon Jovi kind of headlined that one with Ozzy. Uh, he yeah. made sure uh, Cinderella and Skid Row were on that bill, too. So that was a big uh, push for him, too. Oh, for sure. And and now this this begs the question, though, and is this kind of getting off on a little tangent, but 
you know, I I, uh, I used to watch watch uh, a show called Shark Tank quite a bit. I think mm-hmm. you guys have a uh, Dragon's Den or. Uh, we, yeah. And we get Shark Tank too, as well. So, oh, you do? Okay, because I know some American things, uh, TV stations, and uh, things you told me that you don't get, which I'm very surprised. But uh, it always amazes me when people are like, "Well, they're going to haggle over a, a quarter percent or a half a percent or, or even two or three percent." And I'm like, "These guys are going to add millions of dollars to your totals. Where? What are you going to do without them?" that that 1% or whatever is going to be valuable to you. I, I, I just, it, it baffles my mind a little bit. Oh, it's one of my favorite parts of the show where some uh, dipshit will get up there with an electric fly swatter and want, you know, $2 million for 7% of his company. And somebody will say, I'll do it for 10. Oh no, no, I, I got a whole firm at 7% for my <laughs> fucking stupid fly swatter. And it, it happens all the time. You just, you're such an idiot. Like you said, the dragons bring so much, or the sharks, I guess, on Shark Tank, mm-hmm. bring so much to the equation. And you're just, I'll go off and do it on my own. And then when they do the updates, that's the business that failed, right? right. Well, we declared yeah. bankruptcy 48 hours later because we're idiots. <laughs> I, I honestly think a lot of companies go on shows like that thinking that the exposure alone will make them will make their company and they don't have to sign anything away because they're getting the they're getting the benefit of the sharks without paying for it. Oh, 100%. And uh, Dragon's Den, the Canadian version, was actually on for quite a few years before Shark Tank started. Mm-hmm. And I remember one in particular, this guy wanted like $10 million for a vineyard uh, that he wanted to grow, uh, uh, you know, uh, build up in, in Ontario. And he was only offering like 2% uh, oh. of the company. And he wasn't going to take any deal. And they're like, you're just coming on here for, for exposure, aren't you? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And then he went under. So it was all good. Ah, well, that's what you get. Yeah. Um, my and, and a couple of the guys that are on Shark Tank started off on Dragon's Den. That's right. Kevin O'Leary and uh, Kevin Hershevik are both yep. uh, Canadian entrepreneurs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, one one of my favorites from Shark Tank was the guy that wanted to surgically implant a Bluetooth, a Bluetooth device in someone's ear. And you I would have that, to yeah. like, plug in a physical port into your ear when you went to sleep to recharge it. And it, the, the thing that got me about it was how amazingly deadpan and serious he was. He didn't he didn't crack up. He didn't like, and they were just laughing at him because it's such a ridiculous idea. Yeah. Uh, and who knows, maybe one day we'll be there and somebody will look back on him and go, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he was an innovator. He wanted to, yeah. Surgically implant a Bluetooth speaker in your skull. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm shocked. It, he didn't it, get a deal. It was more him. I think that like, even if they bought into the idea, I think he was just so deadpan that I don't think anybody would have wanted to work with him. He just didn't seem like he would be that kind of guy. The only the only percentage I could see is that difference between 49 and 51 percent where you're giving up the controlling interest. I could see haggling over that. But anything prior to that 50 percent mark, I kind of just don't get it. It's how bad you want your your product or or your company to succeed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had something I could bring to them and say, yeah, you know what, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, I'll go with all of your ideas because you know what you're doing and I'm just an inventor. Well, we should come up with something and go on Shark Tank and see if we can get like a quarter of a million dollars for for something. What about like an edible jigsaw puzzle? Well, that's an idea. It's it's not a good one, but it's an idea. <laughs> in, that, in don't, Canada, play, don't play with your food. In Canada, we had a meme going around. It was cats for gold. And they wanted to go on, on Dragon's Den and pitch their business where you send us your gold and we will send you the equivalent in cats. <laughs> what, what, how do you even quantify that? 
it, it used to be a website, catsforgold.com. And it had this great little uh, mock-up of, you know, kitties in a box. Like, you send us your gold. Because that used to be the big thing, right? Send your gold and we'll send you cash. Well, right, you send yeah. us gold, we'll, we'll send you cats. Hmm. So there we go. We're back to cats. This has been a very cat-themed episode. Yes. And uh, join us on our feline podcast, which uh, will be coming soon. <laughs> so I Swinging say, cats uh, with Scott Haskin. I, I'm so glad I put this album on my list. It wasn't one that I was really familiar with all the songs on, to be quite honest. I had my favorites that I would listen to, and, and that was it. Uh, but revisiting this album has been great, and I'm really glad I got to do it with you, Corey. Uh, but overall, I have to say, this is a solid album. It, it stands the test of time for me. And for me, too. And I, you know, when I was growing up uh, in the backwoods of, of Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, the only thing I had to uh, fight against really bad country music was hair metal. Uh, and so I remember me and a group of about five or six friends would, would get uh, get a tape and then we'd swap it out. Like, you got the new kicks? Okay, great. Well, I got Faster Pussycat. I'll record it off you. And then we, we got to make sure someone gets uh, No More Tears from Ozzy. And this was a huge, huge tape uh, back in the day. Everybody had a copy uh, of Long Cold Winter. Everybody up here skips Long Cold Winter for the obvious reasons, but so many classic songs. And still today, if I'm hitting the highway for work or whatever, I'm popping on Gypsy Road. Uh, it's an absolute go-to for every single traveling playlist I have. Uh, it's a great album. It's one of my favorites uh, of the era, one of my favorites of all time. I could totally see that. And if if I remember right, I bought the cassette version uh, because it was right in that interim time when CDs weren't quite there yet. Uh, they were just flat transferring everything, so they didn't sound that good. But uh, when I went to the record store to get it, they had the cassette, not the CD. So I ended up with that. There you go. Which was actually perfect because I didn't have a CD player in my car. So I had to, <laughs> when I got a CD, I had to put it on a cassette anyway. I ended up with it on cassette a few times because they would inevitably break uh, on CD at least once or twice. And of course, now I got it on vinyl too. So yeah, on the next big uh, audio platform, I'm going to pick it up on there too. It was one of my first vinyl record purchases, actually, when I got my turntable all set up. It's like, okay, let, let's you know make your list of what you need. Well, you got to get some classic Van Halen first pressings, yeah. right? Obviously, and uh, I got to get Long Cold Winter. That's an absolute uh, mainstay for me. Yeah. Well, after after we've recorded this episode, I can certainly say why I would have been dead to you had I not invited <laughs> you on to do this one. And this this just screams Corey Morris that all over the place. And well, thankfully, speaking... you're not dead to me. Uh, thank no. you very much for having me on. I had a blast there tonight. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, speaking of, of screaming Corey Morissette, we've got his links to all the shows he does and everything in the uh, show notes. You can also follow him on Twitter at CD Morissette, uh, where he's uh, very lively and active and uh, takes a ridiculous amount of abuse for absolutely no reason. Corey, thanks for coming on. Let's uh, Let's find another album to do at some point. That'd be fantastic. I had a lot of fun here tonight, and I really appreciate you uh, bringing on, uh, bringing me on. Uh, I'm always a little nervous coming on like real podcast. I don't consider myself a real podcaster or anything I do as being remotely entertaining. So when somebody who does do an entertaining show that I consider a real podcaster brings me on, I'm a little nervous, and it, it probably showed. I maybe rambled a bit too much, but I had a blast. This is a great album, and you're a great dude, and thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, and, and I'm going to have to disagree with you because I think, first of all, you have a great uh, radio voice. Absolutely. Really good radio voice. I think you're very entertaining. You're a great moderator on all the shows you do. Uh, I mean, it probably helps that you work in the, in the industry professionally, but, uh, I, I think all of your shows are top notch. Otherwise I wouldn't listen to them. I, I could choose to do anything with my time. 
Uh, and uh, part of that time is uh, every show that you do. I listen to every episode because I really enjoy the work that you do. I enjoy your co-host, except for the one that you do with me because I'm on it, uh, <laughs> which is the, the one show I no longer listen to because I'm there for it. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. And let's work on that uh, Shark Tank pitch. Yeah, we're going to do it. Edible jigsaw puzzles, people. You heard it here first, go. and uh, we'll have to pat Matt before the show airs. Thank you guys, as always, for joining me for another episode of the Husky Cast podcast. Thank you, Corey, for uh, coming on and uh, all your brilliant insight and love and passion for this album. We'll see you guys on the next episode where I am intertwining a variety of uh, shows that, that went on for a very long time and broke them up into smaller bites. So this will fall, uh, let's see, probably going to be three episodes for this one. So they will uh, be interspersed with the other ones and uh, you'll get them all eventually. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.